Welcome to the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast, where business leaders tell their stories and share their insights. All our guests have a personal connection with Nottingham Business School. So listen, learn, enjoy and share. Welcome to the latest episode of the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast with me, Mike Sassy. Now, Charlotte Cox has recently been appointed to the executive team at global sportswear company Pendlin Brands, which owns worldwide brands such as Speedo, Canterbury, Mitre and Berghouse. She successfully led the company development of shirts for a host of international rugby union sides, including England, Ireland and the British Lions. Charlotte is passionate about inspiring people to reach their full potential and has won critical acclaim for, among other things, a company-wide mentoring program that she helped develop. She has worked in global marketing for more than two decades, but her first job was in a high street shoe shop, where she says she particularly looked forward to her performance reviews. Charlotte, thank you very much for inviting us to Pentland. Thank you for, uh, thank you for coming to visit me. You famously led the Pendland Canterbury team that developed the shirt worn by the England team at the Rugby World Cup in Japan. So tell us about that. So it's probably a, about a two-year process from concept to the guys actually wearing it on the field in Japan. I mean, it's a huge cross-functional effort. Um, it involves going deep on consumer insight, design, development, materials, and working with the teams based in here in um, Nottingham, but also in Asia. So we go through research, that understanding phase, understanding what the trends are in the market, all the way through to um, to manufacture. One of the biggest pieces of work that we need to do is really put the effort and the energy into the testing process, because that jersey has to stand up to the real rigour on the pitch, yeah, as you can imagine. Um, so that's where we spend a huge amount of time making sure that it meets the brief and that the players are, are really comfortable in wearing it, but also that it performs at its best. So that product was just really one part of what the team and myself delivered last year. At the heart of, the, of my role, I guess, is I'm, I'm a brand builder. So um, my role is about creating that vision for the brand and then making sure that there's a plan behind it that we can execute. And the brief really last year was about making Canterbury unmissable in what was quite a phenomenal year for not only the category, but for, for the sport itself. I was going to say, you do associate Canterbury with rugby because of its, its New Zealand origins, don't you? It's a, a New Zealand brand at heart, but it was actually founded by three Englishmen. What so there's a fa- fabulous story that sit, sits behind it. And you know, Canterbury is a brand outfitted for the army in New Zealand. So it's a brand that's really stood the test of time and it, it's synonymous with quality, innovation and it's been at the heart of all of that so for me it was about making sure that we deliver a product that's true to its roots but also is um, delivering on the pitch for the team. I think the proudest moment for me was one of the uh, early stages of the World Cup being out there and I watched England versus uh, sorry I watched Ireland versus Japan and seeing Japan and we sponsored both those teams so clearly I had, <laughs> to, go, I had, to, go, I had to go in unbiased but it was it was amazing that I will never forget the atmosphere and I saw that you know our brand was just absolutely everywhere and it was a really proud moment because I know how much has gone into getting to that moment and getting those teams you know we had the biggest number of teams sponsored in any world cup and you know we didn't have a single problem with any of the shirts failing it was just such an incredibly proud moment to know what had gone on behind the scenes on the back of that, perhaps you've been promoted to the executive team here at uh, Pendlin Brands. Your new title is, it's very grand, is President of Europe, the Middle East and Africa. And what does that involve? 
So this role is really about leading our regional teams across the commercial and planning teams to, to deliver the brand strategies um, in the region. And, and, and it's about achieving that growth. So across a portfolio of eight brands, as you know, um, so that's sports, outdoor and lifestyle. And my role, it's a leadership role. So it's about bringing together the development of different parts of the business in service of those brand plans and executing, making it really appropriate for our region. Due to the scale of the role, um, the responsibility sits with a large part of the business, um, the number of people in the region. Obviously the role sits on the patent exec, which is a great opportunity for me to represent those people around the table. So um, it's my first executive role within the group. But I also had an opportunity to experience being part of an exec when I was a non-executive director for Butterfly Twists, which I think, so it's one of our investment companies. Um, so I sat on the board there for about three years. I think that really helped me get a good feel for what I'm going to go and experience as being part of an exec team. And of course, this is all a, a long way from your, your first job <laughs> in a Kettering shoe shop. Kettering shoe, is that right? A Kettering shoe shop? What? It was. And, and I think I read that you credit that job as having inspired your love of business. Well, what was the appeal? Yeah, I worked as a as a uh, shoe shoe shop assistant on a Saturday, and I was sixteen, so it was my first my first job, and I just really liked connecting with people on the shop floor, talking to them. I was quite shy growing up, so it was it was a brave move for me to go and do that. But I found I really loved it. I loved talking to people. I loved understanding what they were coming in for. Why did they want to buy a pair of shoes versus how can I help you? And just finding a solution for them particularly. So it was the first taste I got of actually some bit, a bit of pressure in terms of I had a sales number each week to hit. And Target. we were targeted actually on, um, not actually deliberately on pairs of shoes it was actually on the sundries because some of the money was made on you know when you get someone trying to sell you the uh, the shoe the shoe shiner or so the that's what it is, yeah that's that's, that's where the money's made so the incremental's made is that like the popcorn at the cinema it is, it is. it's all the add-ons it's the basket size and I used to come in on a Saturday and go up to the staff room and then look on the, the piece of paper and see what was my target for the week how many how much value did I have to make in the sundry side and what was the previous week and what was my performance versus the previous week and it was all about me just trying to be the best I can possibly be versus my previous week so it was just a personal goal that, I, that I'd set and, and I got I got excited and I think that's one of the things I've carried with me through my career is I, I do get I'm very outcome focused and I've taken that with me so results. It, yeah it feels a bit like an adrenaline shot into my body when I when I get those results so it, that's what it means to me personally it's exciting at that time I think you were also playing a bit of, bit of football is that right well actually it started before then so I I think I started playing football the moment I learnt to walk um, <laughs> primarily because my 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 dad and my um, and my brother were football mad um, so who did the sport um, Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> right, Arsenal. <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not from Nottingham. Nottingham is my adopted home. I'm actually from London originally, and we'd either play it or we'd go watch the Arsenal. So many of my memories growing up were playing football, but it actually was more broader than that. So my dad would always tell the story that Charlotte was always popular with the boys knocking at the door, not for the usual thing. So he would always tell the story that it would always be, can Charlotte come out to play? And they'd be there with a rugby ball, a football, or a cricket bat. Because I just loved playing playing as part of a team. I, I loved sport. I loved the competitive nature of it. So invariably I found myself representing county level in Northamptonshire for whether that was gymnastics, swimming, hockey, 
just loved sport and I loved all of the things that it taught me about teamwork, discipline, motivating, outcome, achievement, all of those bits. And now, and now your job is in marketing team <laughs> sports. Is that is that the big? You know, was that a natural progression for you? So you know, I um, I went when I went to university. I actually went to study politics, and so I think the brave move for me was actually realizing after about the first three or four weeks, I really didn't like it. I found it really boring, and I sat down with I was assigned a um, a mentor at the university to kind of explore what is it you want to do because if you don't like this, what have you come to what have you come to study? Um, and through various different coaching interventions that she made. I suddenly realised that actually maybe marketing, the art of blending art and science was, it wasn't, politics for me just wasn't dynamic enough. And what was it that was going to bring me sort of that um, excitement and love at the same time as learning? And I just think I've realised, I've carried that with me through my career. I'm at my best when I can do things that I really enjoy and I'm passionate about, as well as learning at the same time. And marketing provided me with that perfect combination. And it's that early call which which made all the difference, you think. What would you say to people who are prevaricating at the moment about what they should do or where they should go? You just have to think about what is it that you enjoy. You need to go and really explore. What do you enjoy? Be honest with yourself. What are you not good at or where are your gaps? Does it make all the difference working in a field where you know you like team sports, you're working with team sports men and women? Does that make all the difference? I mean, it's only really the last two years that I've got the opportunity to do that. I think for me it's more about you know the brands that I've worked on through my career because I've obviously been at Pentland in 15 years but I've had seven years in working for other businesses and I've worked on many other brands. I've got to be passionate about the category or the brands that I work for, I know that. And I have need to have that kind of affinity with, with those, either the company, the cultural fit is really, really important for me in terms of a, an organisation that I work for, so the culture has to be right. But then also I've got to, re if I'm in a commercial role, I've got to believe in those brands because if I don't believe them, how can I possibly go and put them in front of um, customers and consumers. So you'd advise anybody uh, starting a career is, is, is similar to your own to, to pick and choose? Think about wh what is it you love about, if you love those brands or those companies, what is it about those brands or companies that you love? I also once I read that uh, you were once given advice, advice that you've reflected upon and thought was, thought was pretty good, not to treat your career as a ladder. Now that's almost counterintuitive, what does that mean? In simple terms it means just don't rush your career. It's not a ladder, it's, I describe it more as a climbing frame you have in your back garden of kids which has got like a ladder and monkey bars going off to the side and I guess it's more, more like that for me. So I've built my career through um, not always thinking about the promotion and wanting to rush my career, thinking about how do I build my skills and capabilities and it might, or might not always be a promotion, it could be a sideways move because actually I can build a, um, a skill gap that I might have which will eventually help me. And the reason I refer to it as the ladder is because you know when you get to the top and you're in the big job, it's a blooming long way to fall off that ladder if you haven't got a toolkit to lean into. Right, which brings me to, I think, probably the obvious next question. Mistakes that you've made in, the career, in your career. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you've been very successful, and particularly in recent years, but uh, what, uh, what, what what you highlight that hasn't gone quite so well? So in the early part of my career, I didn't realise that leaders could or were even really allowed to make mistakes, and I felt a huge sense of pressure released when I realised it was okay to learn from a mistake. Okay to learn from a mistake, yeah, I think we all know that one. Uh -huh. and, and one of the early mistakes I made in my career, 
there was a situation where I was developing a, a training manual for um, selling lingerie to department stores. Believe it or not, you have to have to train people to do these these things. And I remembered that I'd done some of this work previously for a shoe company that I'd worked for and thought, well, I've already got something pretty much 80% good enough. I can help them. I can get it all ready for them. They don't have to do anything. I've saved them time and I can walk in and make a really good first impression and say, look what I've done, saved you all this time. And it landed really badly. And it landed really badly because I, A, I made the assumption that everyone was like me and that everyone wanted to save time and get to the end result quicker. And then B, what I didn't appreciate was that some people just want to be part of the journey. And it was a huge learning for me very early on in my career. And how did you get yourself out of that one then? So um, I sat the team down and uh, hands up and just said, OK, we're just going to rip this up and we're going to start again. So it really was a great lesson for me to understand what did what are the special innate talents that everyone else has and that they can contribute towards making something better. And do you know what? The end result was much better than, than what I'd brought with me in the first instance. And you got a better training manual out of it? We certainly did. And a happier staff. Absolutely. Good stuff. Um, are there things that you know now that you wish you'd known then in your career? Oh, um, that leaders aren't perfect and don't have all the answers. I think, again, there was a, was a big myth that was broken for me in the last 10 years around just, you know, leaders aren't expected to know everything and you don't have to solve everything on your own. I pride myself in building really strong, unstoppable teams and that means bringing the diverse thinking in. People, sometimes people that you might not necessarily get on with. It's not about getting on with everybody, about taking the best of every, everybody's different perspectives and realising that you do get a better outcome uh, more often than not by having that diverse group of people in the room. If I think about the, you know, the new executive team I'm, I'm going on to, it's the most diverse group of, of people around an executive team. It's a completely balanced gender for the first time ever. Do, do, do you see there are more opportunities for, for women now than there were when you started your career? Uh, I definitely think, particularly in commercial, yes. What do you put that down to? So I think the opportunity for women is is now because there's definitely um, more um, more understanding that why wouldn't we want to have equal voice and that the the views of women are just as important as and equal as as men. You know, I've often often said that the future for female is is now. The time is now. I think there are definitely differences in the way that men and women approach, for example, the, the, the big opportunity in the promotion. You know, very often I mentor women that talk about the fact that they, they give me all the reasons why they shouldn't do it or they can't do it. And men will always you know, generally say, well, of course I can do it. And I think one of the things I've really enjoyed is being able to coach some of those women to, before they say no and realise oh, I, I, I can't do this, I should say no, they say yes. One of the things I've learned through my career is that when you're feeling uncomfortable, is when you're learning the most. Now, in recent years, you've won a number of quite prestigious awards, including Nottingham's Business Woman of the Year Award. This is obviously an important, important issue for you, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm really proud to be part of, um, be part of a team that is, is championing diversity and inclusion, um, and particularly in the space of, of getting more female representative, particularly to sort of senior, senior positions. There will be a number of young would-be businesswomen listening to this podcast uh, who are just starting out on their careers. What advice would you give to them? Own their own career and their personal development. So um, my experience is nobody's going to give you anything. You have to be prepared to do the hard yards and be committed to your personal learning by saying yes to the things that you don't think you can do. Um, taking on a new class, 
task at something outside of your comfort zone, learning a difficult difficult skill. And it's saying yes to the scary stuff because, like, like I say, I think one of my reflections is that when you're feeling uncomfortable is when you're probably learning the most. And those are the moments you look back on your career and credit for you know the, the person that you are from a business perspective and and what that's made meant what that's made me particularly if for any second when I was offered the promotion that I've just been made I thought about saying no of, you know of course I'm thinking about all the things that scare me about taking this role but actually that learning for me in the, the moment that flashed through my head of you know can I do this of course I can do it why why can't I do it um, so specifically to young businesswomen listening to this, I just hope that they realise that the, the future for female is right now. Charlotte Cox, thank you very much. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this episode, why not check out some of the other speakers in the series, which will include the Rally CEO, Lee Kidger, the head of Nottingham Castle, Sarah Blair Manning, and the former banking executive, Robin Fole. The Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast is produced for Nottingham Trent University by Celtic Tiger Productions. Your presenter was Honorary Visiting Professor Mike Sassy, and your producer was John Collins.